The epistle reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but it was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The gospel this morning comes from the 8th chapter of Mark, verses 31 through 38. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus then then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the disciples to him along, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Look at the cross. It's beautiful, isn't it? It crosses are just marvelous symbols of our faith that we find in many forms, in many in many materials in all of our churches, but you know, a cross is not just a symbol in our church. Many of us have crosses that we wear for jewelry. I mean, I would think that most of the ladies listening have at least one cross, and even some of you men may, and we wear crosses on t-shirts. We have crosses on signs out front of our churches, and many people actually now have a tattoo of a cross. That's a very popular thing. 
One of my favorite though, quotes, though, is a word of warning. Don't wear a cross anywhere on your body unless you really know the one who wore the cross on his back. Good words for us to consider this morning. Now let's put this piece of scripture that we've just read in perspective. Jesus had been all over the area of Upper Galilee. He had walked on water. He had healed the sick and raised the dead. He changed water into wine. He fed thousands with next to nothing. He calmed stormy seas. Jesus can control the elements. He can heal bodies and spirits. He can create food out of nothing. What else do you need to be strong and in charge? What else do you need to be the leader who throws off the yoke of Roman oppression and frees the Israelites from the lives of servitude and hardship? If you can do all of that, you don't have to have an army to, say, to help you. If you can calm the storm, you can cause a storm. If you can heal the sick, you can cause sickness. With power like that, being the messianic king will be quite easy. But Jesus knows that that is not the way it will happen. So Jesus, in the, in the passage just prior to this, asked the disciples who they think he is, and Peter answers, you are the Messiah. One of the ways we might phrase that today is, you the man, man. Another way that we might call it today is to say that Jesus is the goat, the greatest of all time. And then Jesus starts explaining to the, to the disciples what it means to be the Messiah and what it means to be a disciple of the Messiah. He's being very clear. He's being very pointed. He is explaining that it's not all easy he is saying to the disciples, here's what's happening to me, and don't think you're exempt. Your turn is coming. But Peter can't have that. No, Peter doesn't want to hear that. Peter has seen the miracles. He has tasted the wine that came from water. He has even taken a few steps on the water himself until his faith faltered and he had to be rescued from sinking he has witnessed the healings. He has witnessed people being raised from the dead. All of that, and now Jesus himself, the one who has done all of these miracles, is talking about being rejected and suffering and dying. That can't happen, not in Peter's mind. Jesus must just be really tired. Maybe he's really hungry. Maybe his blood sugar is low or something else like that. So Peter decides he's going to straighten Jesus out. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. Peter is the most impulsive of all of the disciples. He is the most hard-headed of all of the disciples. And he's the one who's going to straighten Jesus out. It's almost funny. But G Peter calls Jesus aside. Now I want you to imagine what he might have said. I think maybe... It sounded something like this. Maybe it went something like this. Really? Really, Jesus? 
You can control the wind and the waves. All it would take is one word from you and the entire Roman army, no matter where they are, would be paralyzed. We could walk right into Jerusalem, right up to the throne, and just take over. No one can stop you, Jesus. One word, one wave of your hand, and nothing can keep you from taking Jerusalem. So quit this talk of dying. You're scaring the others. Of course, now that kind of talk doesn't bother me. This is Peter standing here. I'm willing to die for you. You know it. I've said it. But that kind of talk bothers the others. They don't understand like I do. So quit the talk of dying and such. And let's just get on with the living that we know is coming our way. Now, obviously... From our vantage point, we can look back and read Peter's words, and we know there's a whole lot wrong with what Peter is saying. Jesus knew there was a whole lot wrong with what Peter was saying, which is why Jesus looked at Peter with the same look that he used when he faced down Satan in the wilderness. Jesus actually called Peter Satan and instructed him to get behind him. Now understand Peter's motives were good, but his methods were off. He was ready to get to the job of saving the Jewish people and get it done in the most expedient way possible. But Peter's way wasn't God's way, and that meant it wasn't Jesus' way. And then Jesus turns to the waiting disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The disciples knew what taking up a cross meant. It meant going to death, and not a peaceful death, but an excruciatingly painful, lengthy death. People knew what that meant when they heard Jesus say that. I don't know that we necessarily realize exactly what that meant today. But this is the season of Lent, and during Lent we are called to examine our lives. We're called with the help of God's Holy Spirit to determine whether or not we're taking up our crosses. We're invited to spend the 40 days of Lent considering the nature of our covenant relationship with God and how we're responding to Jesus' words about enduring a cross on our own. Jesus' question about who he is and Peter's answer about Jesus being the Messiah is the hinge in Mark's gospel, and it is also the hinge in our faith journey. But it's very easy to look at the cross hanging in our beautiful sanctuary and see it as something meek and mild, a mere inconvenience that Jesus had to get past in order to return to glory. It's easy to say that Jesus doesn't expect the same from us that he expected from the disciples way back then. It's easy to romanticize Jesus, to consider him a tolerant man who heals and helps and welcomes. But ladies and gentlemen, in order to confess Jesus as Messiah, we have to look at the cross and see his body hanging there. 
we have to look at the cross and recognize that in order to follow him, we have to be willing to endure a cross ourselves. It's so easy to look at the cross without seeing Jesus there and without even noticing that there's a cross for me and for you too. When we overlook our own crosses, when we refuse to pick up a cross and follow Christ, when we refuse to endure a cross ourselves, we're actually ignoring the claims that Jesus is the crucified Messiah. And we are ignoring the claim that we say he has on our own lives. As Jesus talks about rejection, suffering, and death, it's very easy to stop listening. That's what Peter did. He didn't want to hear about the hard parts of discipleship. He didn't want suffering. He wanted power. He didn't want rejection. He wanted prestige. He didn't want death. He wanted dominion. He wanted to walk into Jerusalem, take control, take the throne of Israel, and celebrate the freedom of the Israelites. And he wanted to do it the easy way. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, we often want the same thing. The easy route. The expedient route. We want Jesus to use his power rather than his humility. We want to talk the talk without having to walk the walk. We want to participate in church, whether it's online or whether it's in person, and then go back to usual, whatever that looks like, so that we're not disturbed by what we might have experienced in church. We want salvation without paying the price. We want cheap grace. Peter rebuked Jesus. We would never rebuke Jesus outright, would we? You and I? We would never call Jesus to the side and say, Now, Jesus, just let me explain. That's all wrong. No, instead, our rebukes are of a kinder, gentler nature. We respond with benign neglect and indifference. There is good news this morning. The good news is that salvation can be ours without paying the price, at least in terms of giving our lives literally to obtain salvation. Jesus has already paid that price. However, we can't be a follower of Christ without hearing his words to take up our own cross crosses as we follow and giving up our lives in order to carry the cross of Christ. Remember last week, I shared that the greatest enemy we have is self. Self has been the problem since the Garden of Eden. So long as the tyranny of self exists, we will never learn to listen to Christ. We will never learn to follow by taking up our own crosses. We must deny self save our lives by losing our lives in service to others, and claim Christ as Savior without shame. We must hear Jesus, hear his call to take up our cross and follow him. Will you do that during this season of Lent and then beyond?
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.